Welcome to the 10th year of Coach Joe Beer Multisport Podcast for triathletes, duathletes, sportive riders, road racers, time trialists, runners, mountain bikers and fitness enthusiasts. Supported by Nopin, suppliers of cycling, running, triathlon and duathlon, aero clothing and custom club kit. Speed pockets, now in two versions, ATS trip suits and much more at nopins.com. Also supported by and actually sat in southforkracing.co.uk for all your biking needs with great brands such as Scott, Infocrank, Garmin, GoPro, Lightweight, Garmin again, Beat It, Powerbar, Garmin again. I don't know why Garmin's in there several <laughs> times. Visit safeforkracing.co.uk. Whatever your distance and whatever your event, this podcast aims to make you smarter and faster. This is the 144th episode for February 2016. Good. Still thinking, still thinking. <laughs> there we go. I'm Coach Joe Beer and joined once again by Martin Crocker of South Fork Racing at South Fork Racing. We are. We are here this evening. A very nice evening it is as well. A bit cold, it is. But there you go. It is. We are in a lovely um, frosty part of the year, aren't we? Very Finally. nice. Finally. What do we know on the grapevine, Martin? Um, only a few things, really. So um, before we came on air, Joe and I had a quick natter. So for, for, for a lot of you that uh, don't get involved in Facebook or Twitter or anything like that, um, then just silly business things, um, maybe not so silly to the tone of the, the money that's been spent, but um, certain acquisitions that we just had a quick uh, gas bag uh, off air on, and that was um, Amos Sports, which are uh, Mavic, um, to, to, to you and me, have uh, managed to uh, buy Envy Composites uh, for £50 million cash. Um, so for, for, for a lot of you that don't know, uh, Amos Sports are massive, uh, um, a company that's a Finnish-based company. Um, uh, they own people like Mavic, Solomon. Uh, there's a branch, there's a sister company that goes out. So the gossip on the grapevine is, yeah, it was 50 million cash. Um, so those two would be combined. Um, other things... I wonder if that would change any wheel technology through different mergings of, you know... I think it's got it, wouldn't it? Yeah. Really, you know, they'd, even though they will be run as... I, can, I guess they'll be run as two separate companies, uh, exist as two different entities, and, you know, they'll share... Share a bit of uh, a bit of tech mm. info, and also there was a um, I saw through uh, slowtwitch.com, great triathlon website that there's finally been granted a patent for head uh, wheels or head industries as they are uh, for a special toroidal technology that includes both the rim and the tire. All oh, right. Mm. So good. So, so you know, everything's moving in in in, in that direction. Uh, another thing, uh, again, if you haven't heard on the grapevine, um, you know, companies uh, Wiggle uh, are joining forces with Chain Reaction um, to probably produce one of the biggest uh, online slash worldwide based companies, which will more than likely help slash um, affect. Everybody. So yeah. So a little bit of gossip from um, from the, the bike world, and then obviously the factor that we might have missed on the last podcast would be um, mechanical doping in bicycles. Yeah, and which which to us seems like old news now, but 
I suppose yeah. from that point of view is yeah. you know we're a month further down the road. Well, and so. also we've had there's been a, a, a splurge of uh, female hour record attempts. There's another one going ahead in the next week. Um, I've also got involved in the very early stages of another hour record attempt, which I'll tell you off off air. Okay. Which is quite interesting actually. It's quite quite an interesting sort of thing. And I didn't tell you I said what I just said. I didn't even realise I hadn't said to you about it. Should we get a question? Let's go straight in with a question. Let's go straight in. Let's, let's, let's go thrusting straight for the jugular. Right. This is a question from Matthew Probitz. Came in via email. Um, and he says, I'm, I have three questions. Um, number one, I seem to struggle with swim drills, namely catch-ups and Aussie. When I do these, the lifeguards start to look nervous and uh, look at each other as if they say, should we dive in and rescue him? Um, what bearing on the stroke do these actually have? Uh, then he says, as you know, because uh, I do know him, um, I'm doing Outlaw and Ironman Weymouth this year. So both full distance uh, triathlons, full distance being Ironman distance. I have two bikes, Giant Trinity and uh, Defy. Outlaw pretty much flat, favours the, the Trini and the um, Ironman favours the Defy. What is the best way uh, to sort out gearing to use for the race for each bike? And thirdly, um, I'm not an actual runner and nine and a half minute mile pace to me is fast. Um, are there any drills you could recommend to improve run speed and or technique? Um, and he says, <laughs> sorry this was a bit late, but I was hungry. <laughs> he did a training session and he was hungry so he couldn't he couldn't type he had to eat before he could type um right going back over that then um drills. first of all what drills explain the drills so okay so catch-ups and aussie catch-ups okay um catch-ups are, are probably quite a general uh general term a, a well-known term whereby um the hand that enters the water goes in. Um, it's not held right at the surface because then your hand isn't in the right place. It goes in and it's, you know, it's, it's pierced down and is, is below your palm of your hand is below the um, surface of the water by a few inches. Um, it stays out in front and then you lift the other arm forwards and take that one down with a, a, a downward angle entry of the hand when they get near to one another ideally close to one another you then bring the hand that was waiting then comes backwards and the hand that is continuing its forward motion goes forwards and down into the water so it's like a delayed stroke it's like a delayed stroke yeah, yeah. um aussie um it's a term i've said to him it's a term that's said to me i don't know whether it's you know um even used outside of a small circle of people that I know or knew. And that's just as you come through the recovery phase, you tap your thumb into your armpit area. So it really encourages um, a high elbow and encourages a delay in what you're doing and means that your elbow is higher than your hand. So as the motion continues, the hand then can go down and the elbow can follow it. Um, and he says, um, what bearing on the stroke do these actually have? Well, the the, the catch-up is, is one way, if you like, to get people, I think, to sort of pause everything and to break the stroke down. Swimming is so much technique, 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 technique. So to break these things down and to think about the technique of each part of your stroke, um, I think is quite good. The downside of both of those is that there's a delay in the momentum of the stroke. And lots of times people, particularly if they're um, not great with their kick, they can they can sink. And most triathletes aren't 
ex-swimmers that come into multi-sport they're often runners or bikers or people that have just come from a you know a mixture of things they wouldn't call themselves any one particular uh, type of sports person therefore they're not strong on the swim therefore they do sink yes very good swimmers very elite swimmers can swim do these drills and they stay perfectly in the water and i think in doing both of those drills it's a good idea to have um not necessarily a pool boy i would prefer people to have fins very small fins just to keep them doing the um, ankle uh, action of the kick and kicking through the whole of the leg as opposed to condensing their um, thighs in on the uh, pool boy and then making everything rigid so uh, there is a bearing on the stroke but I think what you have to do is to put fins on and, and try to do those things and why Matt um, said about you know nervousness of the pool of the uh, lifeguards is that if you start slowing down you start dipping in the water and they start thinking is that person starting to sink now you know are they are they have they suddenly had a um, an issue and they're starting to sink in the water if you've got fins that are lightly kicking behind you you can actually keep going forwards you're not thinking about the kick the kick is merely lifting you in the water but what you are doing is you're concentrating on those drills um, with regards to the bike, um, I don't specifically know the Defy. Do you know it? You've probably seen yeah. it come through yeah, the front yeah, door. Yeah, yeah. Um, and certainly Outlaw in the UK, the Outlaw is a, is a full distance race, a sort of an independent. It's not a challenge. It's not an Ironman. And the bike is, yeah, it's it's pretty flat. There's no um, Alpduezes or anything like that. It's not a, um, it's not a wimble ball. And therefore, most people ride an aero bike knowing that it's quite um, long durations of being able to hold the aero bar position. You can control the power well because um, it's a, certainly a predictable terrain. It can still be windy. It can still be rough roads. Um, the probably, I'm guessing, yes, the Weymouth course is better on the Defy, but you would probably know better in terms of what the Defy is like in terms of differences. Yeah, um, you're... <laughs> In an ideal world, it would be brilliant if you could just go on a weekend and ride roughly the course. Yeah. That will give you an idea of... The two bikes will normally be different anyway in the gearing, whereas your Trinity is geared for aero, it's a bit geared for speed. Um, you know, so, so fundamentally, on that type of bike, you normally have a bigger gear than you would have on the Defy. Mm. Um, if you're like me and a little bit OCD with it, you'd have them both set up the same gearing. Okay. But yeah, yeah. you, if it's a hillier course, naturally you'd be using the Defy. Uh, and if that's the case, then, you know, that, that might lend itself then to having uh, an easier gearing on it. Right. So, or a more, or, or a softer yeah. gear. Um, I think people go a bit crazy and think, uh, oh, I need, you know, it needs to be completely different. So, for instance, on the Trinity, you know, you run a, a 5339 tooth on the front. And then you're running an 1128 cassette on the back. Um, and then with the Defy going, oh, it is going to be a bit hillier. And then you run a compact, we call a compact, so a 5034 tooth on the front. Yeah. And then running something like an 1128 or an 1130 mm. cassette on the back. I don't think they need to be massively different, mm. but I think there needs to be a little bit of difference just, just yeah. for you to stop kind of you have a tendency on the start to be able to haul a little bit up the hills and think oh actually this isn't too bad you know stick to your program but fundamentally if you're able to 
get down there and just ride a lap yeah. of the course. If it's going to be a two-lap course, a three-lap course, then even just riding a lap round nice and steady sometimes is quite a good eye-opener mm. to thinking, yeah. well, actually, this gearing that I've got on the minute, which is a standard 53.39 with a um, 11.28 cassette, you know, I'm, I might not need to change the gearing. Yeah. Or you might go... Hell's teeth, you know that, that there's some there's some sharp old uh, climbs there. Maybe I should be looking at changing the rear cassette or changing the mm. chain rings on the front. Um, if if it was me in an ideal world, I would go for a lap of the course at a really nice steady slow pace. Yeah. Or if it's a 25 mile lap, you know, having a good crack at it and just thinking, well, I can manage it without mm. having done the swim. Yeah. But I think I will struggle. Yeah. So, and that gives you a better idea. If not now, you know, there's different capabilities. You can download the GPX file of the course normally. And if you've got things like smart turbo trainers, um, systems um, that you can plug these GPX files into and ride it onto the smart trainer, mm. you can then work yeah. out roughly. And it, it does, it illustrates the, the need for uh, a recon of any circuit people don't accidentally find that they've got the right bike for the right uh, race it's they've done their homework and you can see it uh you sometimes see it with the triathletes but you definitely see it with the road cyclists I, even today i saw up on twitter there was one of the teams going across a certain set of the cobbles on one of the classics so they were there you know uh, way in advance riding the cobbles getting used to it um so they've already worked out maybe some of the lines certainly the equipment certainly what psi's to run the tires etc and no one race outside of uh, things that you've done before that don't change no one race is actually ever going to be the same so you're much better to spend some time going there just being a little bit more savvy as to what the terrain's like when people say i don't really know what the course is like but i'll find out it's like wow yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean that's a, that's a great way of finding out you haven't got it right but if you can even if it's just a few days before get there and double check that therefore you've got enough time if you do need to change the gears that you can actually get somewhere to do it but i, I think you know the, his choices are about right yeah. but the gearing may be adjustable depending on how much you know essentially how much um he's willing to tweak things for each of the specific courses courses that's it yeah. and and i know it's it's not ideal but if that's one of your main races that you've invested 375 quid into or 400 quid and it's a two-hour drive or a three-hour drive away you know could be a brownie point winner as well. You can take uh, take the family away for the for the weekend and just say, look, you know, under under the the kind of the the guys that you know, I'm going to be riding this course. Would you be yeah. all right if I went missing for a couple of hours? Mm. And then that would just give you a bit of an idea. But I, I would even if that isn't possible, I would just download a GPX file uh, or or have a look at the course profile and go, all right, well that's similar to. You know, mm. so and so hill next door. Mm. You know, out out my front door. Um, I'm going to go and ride that at, at at a certain pace and go. Oh, maybe mm. after a swim, I might be struggling, or after lap two or lap mm. three. Um, but you can, you, you're better off to err on the side of caution. I feel than you would be to go. Ah, fifty three thirty nine will be fine. Yeah. I've got eleven twenty five. I'll be fine. You know, whereas you get halfway round and go. Ooh, I think I might have yeah. blown my doors. And it's, and it's different for you know, sportive riders can. Uh, they can certainly make it up as they're going along because you can leave yourself um, utterly drained and empty and say, oh, well, uh, I needed to stop a bit more in the last uh, few aid stations and I had to hang on to a wheel. 
in a triathlon, you're trying not to overcook it beyond 55% of your peak power. You don't want to have to overwork because that's never going to be a way to set up a no, good run. But that's the thing because you always got to bear that in yeah, mind that yeah, the run is coming. Yeah. And so to know, you know, to know what you can't get off of GPS and so forth, data is how, how rough is the uh, road and, and year on year that can change yep. it can change depending on whether it's exactly the same course whether sometimes the courses are um, particularly with races you know they're popping up still new courses popping up left right and center and until you go to that venue you probably have not you might have done bits of roads in that area if there's been previous race um, versions but the specifics of it if you can find it out are a great way of just taking that big question mark in the middle 50-ish percent of your race day yeah. as to exactly what's going to go on whether you do need you know considerably wider more comfortable tires because the the surface is is slow and is bumpy and you're going to be on that bike for therefore longer therefore you need more comfort but a good question yeah. and the third one which was you know natural um pace nine and a half minute mile um are the drills to improve run speed and technique I mean, drills don't improve your speed as such. Aerobically, you can improve by uh, improving your VO2 max to body weight. So when people get lighter, lo and behold, they are running well and say, oh, I'm running really well at the moment. And most of that is to do with the oxygen cost of moving across the floor has dropped. Therefore, they cruise along. I think also um, making sure that even within a simple aerobic run, there's no problems in throwing in 12, 16, even 20 strides of, of pickup speed, of actually taking your body up and out of the, what people think of as being plod paced, plod, 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 actually get up and start really, you know, moving quickly, 20 strides, slow back down. That at least gets your movement mechanics feeling like there's another gear. And although you aren't therefore going to be running that fast all the time if you take that 20 strides and do it for 120 strides you realize what goes wrong is that you run out of oxygen to run at that pace and so 5k pace can feel really easy and there's no massive increase in heart rate try and do 5k pace for a minute and suddenly you're starting to breathe very hard and think wow this is hard work so i don't think you can um, automatically do a drill and it make you more economical because unlike swimming where there is a technique to get through the water you're actually just moving your body weight along so there isn't a dense medium that's stopping you the the difficulty is is gravity is you to try and drag yourself along so the lighter you are the better um the more that you've worked out how you can even particularly for the ironman distance people how you can kind of shuffle along do an economical but really consistent um, speed and not start you know running the first hour up on your toes as if you're going to be running that speed for long and then slow down run walk is a better way of keeping the natural speed on your race day actually higher there's going to be aid stations you do want to take on board carbs and electrolytes and fluid and possibly you know ice cubes down your back and who knows what the temperatures could be like you know there can be some bonkers temperatures as there was a few years ago um particularly at the outlaw race actually so uh, there are drills which i can fill um matt in uh, directly with but i think it's actually not worrying that if you run naturally at a pace that you should be forcing yourself to run faster in long durations but short durations where you show your muscles 
And you almost give yourself the confidence to just go quicker for 16 strides. Just go quicker, feel really good, and then go back down to normal pace. It's, ref- it's refreshing as well. It's refreshing, well, it? yeah. It's, yeah, nice, yeah. it's a nice yeah. break. And it's not long enough to, to create too much discomfort. We are moving out of winter. That does increase people's um, fitness level. It often is easier for people to drop weight because they go from the comfort foods to eating lighter to being conscious that if they are lighter, um, yes, vegetables, Martin. You know vegetables and salad? No, you don't know. Is any of that in chocolate? No. Um, And actually playing around with saying, if I want to make it easy on the run, ultimately, Look at the shape of the best runners. They look like the mic stand we've got here. They're just straight up and down. Minimal amount of muscle to move along the floor. And as a triathlete, you've got certain muscles you need for the swim. You've got bigger leg muscles than a runner requires for the bike. But if you can be lighter on the run and you think about gradually reducing your weight over the coming months to both the Outlaw Race and Weymouth, that's just going to make it easier. It's going to make it easier uphill on any bike sections. It's going to drop your rolling resistance on the bike also and it's going to also help you to um be uh just economical on the run and not wasting energy so you know with running as well running is almost beauty in the beast isn't it you know it's a fantastic way to work out it's efficient it's time efficient um it's a surefire way of uh, of getting fit um you need minimal kit for it Mm. um but the downside is 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 i think you struggle to be able to see the gains that you make with running it's quite specific to the point where yeah. you need to kind of do your certain measurements and things change as well so you know there's not one particular thing that makes it click but like joe was saying i think just something that makes your body you have to react to those 20 strides maybe just so your body goes oh yeah, well, actually i know what this feeling is and it just kind of breaks the routine up it just breaks the the the, the rhythm which racing does racing sometimes ironman is is a bit more one one kind of um one speed yeah with it but you know if you have to do a change of speed or or you know a hill has come up or there's a bit of downhill and you have to change the way that you're running at least your muscles don't react to oh hang on a minute what's yeah. going on yeah. here because there's so, power differences which now the systems of power measurement um are um they're they're coming on board and we're going to see power measurement in running being much more uh, just much more talked about in cycling we've been talking about power for more than two decades in in running it's not but to see that if you could take um for example uh the standard pace between aid stations in long course racing the pace between will be, you know, let's say that somebody's running at 160 watts and then they slow down through the aid station, they take their, their food, they, they you know, reduce their power. That's the respites that otherwise you don't get. On the bike, you can be going quickly, you soft pedal for just a few seconds, your legs loosen off, you're still going fast, there might be a slight drop, a slight tailwind, a slight, um, both of certainly the outlaws on open roads. I'm not sure about the clothes roads at Weymouth, but you know, traffic goes by, suddenly you get pulled momentarily, you soft pedal, but you're still going quite quickly. And I think with the running, unless you impose that run walk strategy to reduce the power, you don't get any let up. And when people think they're gonna run, um, Matt hasn't said, you know, I'm gonna run 9.30s in um, the long course races. But when you get to a certain speed, and you think that's what you're going to do. In the Ironman, you're also going to have deliberate breaks because you're not doing a marathon where, where somebody's saying, well, you walk so much, that would be the best way to go quicker next time is walk less. You're bound to walk. He's probably going to be you know, no less than seven hours 
into the event before he gets off and starts the marathon. So, of course, you've got fatigue. You've got a sense that the body's um, using a different muscle group and therefore needs to get used to running. Mm-hmm. So to, to intersperse the running bits with the aid stations or sometimes even between aid stations, people take a walk break. They might find a gel that they've got in their pocket. They might squeeze some sponges they've been carrying. You often see them carry sponges under the shoulders of their tri suits. Squeeze it, walk a while, and off you go again. And walk run works because you're in a state of fatigue. To try and run constantly to the point where you slow down will only go into a very negative spiral. Because when you slow down, you've deliberately been forced to slow down by your muscles and you can't turn that around because there's nothing that you're going to sit on. There's nothing you can hide behind. You're now running barefoot, or not barefoot, but you know, running um, simply with running shoes, you and the floor. And I think there's a there's a simplicity in run walk that seems to defy some people's logic that they think surely it's better to just keep running. But if you reduce the effort momentarily, only for a short period, you're not saying walk half of it and run half of it and you're bound to be quick. It's just taking these breaks at aid stations or between aid stations that's good and therefore to do that in training as well and i think if you do walk you get a bottle perhaps from a belt that you've got um around your waist you take a sip of drink you get running again what you notice is firstly going slow walking suddenly feels fast because you're back up to running if you've ever run alongside somebody they stop and walk and you run off you've not got to go for long turn around and realize how slow walking is because you've you've gapped them by a mile and They've been walking and you've been what you think of as slow running. Slow running is still quicker than walking. Walking is painfully slow, but it gives you that respite. It reduces the power momentarily and you feel better when you get back up to speed that the muscles that weren't being engaged when you were walking are now almost like recharged and ready to go. Yeah? I like that. Good. Um, I was going to do, there's a few things that went through my uh, at Coach Joe Beer Twitter feed that people who are listening to the podcast might not watch the Twitter feed, might have um, missed something. One thing was Power Bar have got a new caffeine boost product that's like in a little, it's a little file. Yeah. File? File. Or vial? File. Okay. Yeah. Um, file, vial, no, file. Um, and it's a 200 milligram pre-race like drink it, wait one hour, and boom, off you go. So that's like a double red bull. Did you say 200 milligrams? 200 milligrams, a bit like some of the gels. I'd never sleep for a week. <laughs> oh, no. um, and it's, um, it's called Caffeine Boost. What's mm. it got in it? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. It's in a, it's in a black, uh, a black um, sort of uh, labelled um, file. I'll show you a picture. File or vial? It's file. That's what it's a file. I got, you keep saying vial, and I'm saying file. Um, and it's um, yeah, it's a, it's in a black um, long file. tube. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's um, there. It is there. Caffeine boost. Can oh, you yeah. see a picture? Yeah. And they're coming out. It's in a black box. tube. It's in a black tube. <laughs> 200, 200 milligrams of uh, of caffeine, which pre race. For somebody, you know, if it's somebody at 70 kilos, that's three milligrams per kilogram. Why did you look kilogram. at me and say 70 kilos? Well, I'm just generally looking in your direction. Um, three milligrams per kilogram, which is right on the lower end of certainly the the positive dose response is starting at that point. Obviously, if you're 50, 50 kgs, 
it's four milligrams per kilogram. I'm doing the maths for you here, see, so you're not having to do too much. And um, that that might be too much for some people. Some people half of that, and they would notice it. Um, but just making you uh, aware of what's there. And there's a little uh, picture on uh, on Twitter of that um, of that product. Also, uh, I was taking some light meter readings. I've seen these. <laughs> When I was out in uh, Lanzarote, did I say Lanzarote? No, you never mentioned oh, no. that you'd been there, actually. No, no, no. Um, on poolside in Lanzarote, yeah. um, I just put the light meter there and just let it do its thing. And it does it straight away, but I was wondering, is it going to change? But it was up at 70,000, okay? 70,000 lux, this thing measures. I'd never had to push it along. If you push it like two clicks, it goes along and effectively what it's measuring, you add two zeros on. And I'd never actually gone to that level before when I've been doing indoor stuff. For obvious reasons, there's not so much light. Um, but then I went out uh, on a ride recently, put the light meter, you know, middle of a ride, stopped, uh, put the light meter on the handlebars and yeah it was a wet five degree morning in Devon and uh, it was 5,000 and it would have been bright you wouldn't have said oh it's so great it was kind of a bright but bit overcast day and it was only 5,000 lux and in Lanzarote um, also at the top of Tabiesco put it on the floor in the car park and thought is this going to be any you know any higher lower again 70,000 lux so you imagine that that's why people get good mood state when you have bright days. We've had a few bright days. I need to measure in the UK. It's not like that's the only place you can get high lux. But because of where the sun is more uh, vertically above the atmosphere, because you're getting nearer to the equator, the um, I think the rate at which you get the sun is higher, i.e. you get higher levels of light. Bear in mind that there's, there's people in this world that have to carry a lux meter so maybe <laughs> photographers but no i can pretty much i reckon other than people listening to this that do photography i bet there is no one that has a lux meter apart from you probably yeah but i got given it by um Lumi, who i work with and just said you know knock Go yourself out knock yourself out I'm like, <laughs> great i like this because you could assume that oh yeah it would be higher light readings when you're abroad but to have seventy thousand and then five thousand on a you know a dark or not dark but kind of a bit of an overcast ish day just puts it into context of wow 14 times as much um sort of uh daylight if you like or light free happiness free happiness yeah <laughs> yeah get the flight right now free light um, happiness and uh yeah and then you know go indoors even sit next to a light box and try and get this thing as close as possible you can't get it anywhere near seventy thousand. so it shows the quality and intensity of the light that you get when uh, people go on uh, but, training camps to places like lanzarote yes. where i've just been, oh, you've been, a bit. Yeah, I've been um, but also yeah like you said you know the, the the way people come back and react to a week's training with that kind of yeah you know, not only is it warm, not only is it an an atmosphere where you are you're training with like minded people, but also like the, the weather, mm. um, the sunshine, which was very good. Did I tell you it was really good this no, year? No, no. Oh, it was. It was really I good. I don't really care. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So you know, the, that then only kind of lends itself to you having to train well. It's yeah. got to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. And that's why we've already had bright, you know, bright days. Uh, in the UK, we're coming out of winter. There is a, you know, a sense the sunlight improves. We've had longer days. It was still what half us five today, and it was definitely, you know, uh, light. And um, that that does improve. It not only improves people's mood state, it improves your potential fitness level. So people that are wanting peak performances, lo and behold, you're doing for the most part. People listening to this are doing uh, summer-based uh, sports 
that therefore lend themselves to your fitness will naturally improve in the coming months. It's probably documented to be about about a 10% um, improvement. Now, whether that's that they get more daylight and they push their vitamin D up or that they are you know, lighter and that pushes their performance up, there's a lot of things, but certainly daylight mm. length and and the sunshine helps your But they mood. all go hand in hand, don't they? Yeah. So. Um, so that was just a measurement which I did, which would be very easy to say, oh, of course it's sunnier in in, uh, in uh, Club de Santa, where I just went on a training uh, camp. <laughs> I thought you were waiting for me to go, uh, yeah, Lanzarote, yes. Um, but to put a number on it, just, you know, it's like all these numbers. Yeah, it's an obvious thing to state these things, but to put the numbers into context, you can start to see, wow, I sit, you know, arm's length from a light box in the middle of winter and think, wow, that's nice and bright. But it's it's about, what, 3,000? And then you realise going to Lanzarote, you're stood in something where it's 70,000 and the light box looks bonkers bright. You'd have to have it, you know, you'd have to have it very, very, very close to you to get even something near to 10,000. But it puts some figures on why people that work indoors a lot who don't see quality daylight for months on end, why would they have great mood state? They're certainly not getting much vitamin D. They're not getting much natural, often um, light cycles. That's the other thing is that you don't get the natural um, processes in the body kicking in because your body's not getting the uh, signals. So that was a number and I just thought I'd share it with you. Share it slash rub it in. (laughs) (coughs) Hashtag, hashtag. (laughs) Um, Also there's, well, there's other... Uh, tweets and things via at Coach Joe Beer on Twitter and at Coach Joe Beer on Facebook. And it's not meant to be rubbing it in. It's meant to be information to help you. Allegedly. Allegedly. Um, so, do you have any um, top tips from Martin's host of information host of based on, on what you've seen in the past couple of weeks, the classic, should we say, mistakes or purchases or something that, you know, you, you see every day, you see a different way of interacting with people to how I do. You get people coming in. Do you reckon there's something that, like a top tip? You say, look, you can save yourself money or you can do this because nine times out of ten people don't do it. Yeah, I, th- I think the main thing is, is, is you know, then they're, they're not mistakes. You know, if people do stuff, if you get things wrong, then it is a mistake. But if you learn from it, then it's become a learning. You know, it's, it's something you've taken from being a mistake and you've learned from it. Um, at the minute, I think it's just, it's just a blasé way of um, people have gone, oh, I'm just still in my training phase, you know, I'm coming out, I'm coming out the end of it now, it's the end of Feb, so I'm looking for, you know, getting my bike fit. They were like, well, why, why, why now? Oh, because mm. I'm going to be racing soon. Yeah, but you've done all your hard work on your bike now when right. you should have really had that fitted in November right. or October, and now you're coming going, well, I've changed the position slightly and I've got a problem with my knee right. or, you know, I've got a slight imbalance. You know, it's things that kind of could have been addressed back then that now people are coming into into kind of more towards their, their, their race season going, oh, maybe I should have done that. So I know that it's too late now, but maybe fundamental things, if you keep um, a diary, a training diary, maybe look back through and go, oh, really, I should have tried changing the position, got a bike Early fit on. in October um, and, got, uh, and got it sorted and dialed. And then 
and then kind of transferred that onto a new bike maybe or but at the minute you know there's we, we get we're getting a lot of people coming in um that i think have done quite a good bulk of their training and a lot of people have been very positive even though the, you know the weather hasn't been fantastic but it's also been um, winter weather let's face it but it's winter it's <laughs> yeah. winter so um and the way i look at it now is you're, you're through the bulk of it you know you can see the light at the end of the tunnel so if you've got things like your uh, your training's been really good um your bike fit has been really good then there's not a massive amount now that you can do to help make your training easier yeah. more efficient you know that that should have been done way before but now it's just putting those little bit of fundamentals what i would say we've we've had a, a a recent influx of guys that have done a bulk of the training had no issues but all of a sudden just starting to pick up niggles right so silly little things like lower back issues hamstring and knee injuries not mm. injuries per se that they can't then physically train or do anything just that niggle in the niggle. in the back of the knee going well, what's that from why why is that there you know don't forget that you you know your body is still reacting to the tra- to the training just yeah. because it hasn't broken down before doesn't mean it's not so look after it so things like physio um, massage making sure your rest is good as well um you know again We've had a couple of really nice days here, a little bit crisp, but people are probably going, right, you know, because the weather's good, I'm going out on the bike, I'm, I'm bringing forward one of my training um, days, so doing Monday, Tuesday, mm. instead of going Monday, Tuesday off, Wednesday, mm. Mm. Thursday off, Friday. You know, I've bunched it all in because I know the weather's changing at the end of the week. So I think what you should be doing, fundamentally what you should be doing now is is the, the bulk of the training has has been and gone but you should be looking after yourself yeah. from a physical point of view and um you know going to see guys that can help you out whether it be a massage um whether it be bowing therapy whether it be pilates or anything like that i think you kind mm. of we recently, the last two weeks actually, has is, is been an influx with people going, oh, yeah, I haven't really done much training. Cause I've and got if you haven't this. done much training, you've got to watch how enthusiastic you therefore approach your training. Yes. Yeah. And, and especially if the weather's good, because you kind of go massively over the top. You Like like you were yeah. saying with the, yeah. with the light situation, you know, as soon as you see a bit of sunshine, it's dry. I do exactly the same. I'm right, I'm out on my bike. And, you know, you tend to go gung-ho for three days and then go... Oh, I'm starting to starting to feel like I've yeah. got a cold coming. I, I think you're right, but I think it's the same. It's the same issue all the time. If the weather's not great, then you do whatever you can, and the we- if the weather's good, well, you do whatever you should, not whatever you could. Yes, yes. What should you do? How much do you need to increase? It's it's no point training around oh it's good weather i better get some extra in because well did you need extra or are you just training if you just like your training i mean knock yourself out go out <laughs> yeah. and do yeah. loads of it but if you're working to a plan there should be very little difference to what you can do certainly when you start looking over several weeks there might be one week where um work or your car fails or you somehow manage to not be able to get to some key sessions and okay that happens for that week but overall most sessions should get done and i think the ones that randomly you see have injuries and stuff they're just that they're training to the how do i feel right now response not what should my plan be because if the plan is to add a bit more on the last week well certain sessions will get a bit bigger get a bit harder you might up the frequency but you've got to have those easier days and you've got to acknowledge that just because it's sunny today if today wasn't your training day you don't just train today because it's sunny <laughs> because that 
you know, what happens on a race day if it's not sunny? You're going to say, oh, I want to come back tomorrow when it is a, a nice day. You've got to, you've got to somehow train despite the weather, not dangerously if it's icy and you send yourself outside and, you know, you're running along and slip, Scat yourself down slip, the road, wallop, yeah. there's, a, there's an injury. But you do have to have a, a plan. And I think it's nice to be this side of the winter, but it's also nice to think, what do I have to do now in, in sync with how far away is my... Um, first race what should I be doing now if I was to logically sit down and write it down and then actually do that write it down and then think how do I fit those sessions in what's the most important thing I've got to get done because if I don't I'm never going to do it accidentally through you know pleasure I need to do it because it's planned in plan it into a day as long as most things don't conspire against you get it done and then I think you can own the training as opposed to a oh, great day. And someone says, oh, it was a great day. So I went off and did extra. And you think, well, yeah, that's OK from an enjoyment point of view. But if you want to get better as such, you have to do more than just go out and enjoy your training. You do have to sometimes think, I don't want to do it, but I've got to do this session. And I think those I've got to do them and they're going to be hard work sessions might be right now for some people. They might be still a month away for others. For some people, they've just got to do lots of training and they don't have to do too much intensity. But there's got to be sessions that you know you don't ideally fall into and get done. But when you've got them done and they're another step forwards, you start telling your training program what you're going to do next not be dictated to by the weather or by somebody throwing a random session at you because then you're not on a you're not on a training plan you're just training yeah you know you just you like you like and there are plenty out there they like their training but they can be fairly fit clearly because they get it done when they can but also they can be quite random with what their form is like their form is literally a mirror of how's the weather right now yeah what well, is a mirror of the kind of the 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 suck it and see or budget and scarper kind of training uh, training situation or training plans so but i think we we have a tendency um especially on our podcast to we give the kit, I think, far more airtime than we give us give the body. Yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And, and it is because, with the greatest respect, kit's far more, far better looking than I am. <laughs> that much, but it's what we want to see. It's what we want to hear about. Mm. Whereas, kind of getting yourself um, ready and getting yourself kind of or maintaining yourself mm. is probably a better way to put it. Um, we tend to overlook that quite a bit. So. It's TNT. It's training, it's nutrition, and it's tech. Yeah. And the, tra the training, I don't think the training is that hard. Not to, not to, not to actually work out what you've got to do. No. I no. mean, it, it must be by the time you get to, you know, you know um, be it uh, Chris Froome or Shirters or whoever's, you know... Um, Paula Radcliffe, whoever's level, at a certain point, the last little micro bits are incredibly important because that's the difference. But for most people that are that are listening to this, you're amateurs, this is your playtime, this is important for you to do it, but you don't have to sweat the marginal stuff too much. Sometimes people are overly thinking stuff. And what I've seen from very, uh, actually from a, a chap that was at Lanzarote, um, whose ears would burn now, um, Keith Murray, I'm talking about you, just gets on with it. You know, does solid training, does his quality work, gets on with it, but isn't looking for technology to make up for not being able to pull his finger out. He's a good, hard work ethic. And if you've got hard work ethic and you've got a good gene pool, then you can go quite fast. If you've got a good work ethic, but you haven't quite got, you know, um, 
absolutely you know top 10% genes it doesn't stop you getting to the top of your ability and people do themselves in and they do themselves in exactly for the reason you've said they suddenly do out of the blue you know random training because they want to get fit a lot quicker than they should do or I think maybe they do a multiple of training a bit too a bit too hard a bit a bit too ahead of themselves and not let their body catch up if you let the body catch up to what you're doing by the time you're doing even six hours or eight hours or definitely up to 10 hours and beyond you will get fit and what you put in doesn't have to all be hard doesn't have to all be you know kind of like big volumes you give somebody six to eight hours of quite controlled training very very talented people will still get quick on that and people that are middle packers that are just solid people trying to get goals done that would be far easier for them not to do because they're not naturally at the front of the you know um front of the race they'll still get good results and i think it's not doing yourself in by overstretching yourself and sort of thinking if i train as hard as you know that person that person and that person i'll leap ahead of them no you won't you'll actually be the person that gets to races and you know is already a, a broken person or you can't really switch off from your training because you're so wanting it to work training you do it you leave it for you know 12 hours 24 hours it's going to have an effect and if it doesn't have as big an effect as you want maybe it's just not in there and you don't train twice as much and then it will be in there there's just a limit and i think if you enjoy your training you get it right and work on the yeah the peripheral bits like the bits of kit we talk about because they help you but also because you are starting from the point of training on tnt i've always said training is the first one because it is the most important one nutrition because that supports your bodily training and your sessions and stuff and the tech just surrounds all of that and lets you you know be more efficient on your sportive bike than somebody that's got you know an incorrect setup or a better runner because you recycle your shoes faster than somebody that wants to run in them for three years and wonders why they get injured yeah that's it yeah according the gospel according to martin and joe well not gospel but i'm just I'm just, had, I just had a text and this is quite it's quite nice when somebody sends you a text um i won't say who it is um, he can he can be uh, anonymous because he might not want me to say exactly who it is. But he just said, um, I did the 1500 meter swim tonight in 2720, which must be a PB for me in the pool. Um, my season goal is sub 27. Looking well in reach. Um, twice a week swimming is starting to pay off. So, and, and as I was reading that and we were starting this conversation, I thought that proves it. He's getting in the pool twice a week. He's only done before once. And I said, look, you've got to do twice a week if you're really going to, you know, you want to up your speed of swimming. You can't cram it all into one session a week. Even if you've got talent, that's still, that's pushing your luck. Um, twice a week gets to, you know, gets to a, a 27. But importantly, he's not thinking, do you know what? Twice a week, I'll make it four times a week. Because it's not actually going to be more, more, more productive. And... It sort of shows that I know this this chap, we did some base work, he slowed down his zone two and he ran a PB for 5K in December because he just slowed down. Mm. So you kind of know, actually, he's probably before, I'm not doing anything more than making sure he does the right work at the right time. He's actually had a better engine than his performances before have shown. Sure, yeah. And you direct him and say, right, I want you to do that bit hard, but that bit's got to be easy. And people, if they get the easy bits right, 
they'll enjoy it, it's fun, they can think about technique. Go into the hard bits and go, boom, right, that's really hard, that works. That combination will give you whatever you'll do. And the fact that, again, he's proved what I've said to him, which I think he gets now, you've got a good engine. As long as you train it right and don't break it, mm. and so far was probably, because he says, look, I've only got six or seven hours, that's it for the whole week. He probably used to push harder, thinking, I've got less hours, I'll just do more per hour. And now has slowed more of the sessions down and is actually, because I was looking at the numbers and going, you're quicker than what your training has been able to get you to. Not because you haven't been training hard enough, but actually been training too hard. And that's good because it does illustrate, train correctly and you'll get the results. Give yourself a tech bit of, you know, a nice... uh, I don't know. I say a reward. Yeah, Give yourself reward. a nice reward. Yeah. If you feel as though you've done the, the training, you've done it right, you've done it to the best of your ability, then you can reward yourself by going, well, I've gone and got the new wheels, uh, new goggles, new um, wetsuits, um, you know. And and if you feel as though you've got to that point, then brilliant. It is nice to have it. So, oh, well done. Um, here's a quick question, because we don't want this podcast to go on forever and a day. We don't want people to um, get... Board. Got training to be done. Got training to absolutely training to be um, done. I'm not sure this, we've done this one, but I don't think so because of the. Um, uh, you haven't highlighted it. it or haven't highlighted it or ticked it off on the list yeah. and said it. Yeah. Um, this is from Alex Knapp, and he says, "I've been meaning to ask you about this. I've been working on my base fitness and keeping most all of my runs below eighty percent. Um, but how accurate do I need to be? Occasionally, my heart rate creeps up to eighty-one or eighty-two percent. Um, is this okay as long as it's not too long, or do I need to stay at seventy-nine percent or below? Is eighty percent okay?" Question um, mark. The threshold is a threshold. You know, and when I say threshold, I'm not on about anaerobic threshold, so let's get the terminology right. The threshold or the, the line that you draw, which is at 80%. Yes, when you go 81%, that's not 80%. And it sounds incredibly pedantic. And there are people, typically those that don't want to slow down to the right level, they'd rather be 81 and pretend they were going slow. Whereas, no, if you're 81%, you're above where you need to be. The moment you're above 81%, you're in zone two. That isn't zone one. It's like saying, oh, I was only doing, you know, 31 miles an hour off a set. Well, yeah, but you could, I know one mile an hour would be pretty tight, but you could say, well, 30 is the limit and one mile an hour is too much. And and in the real world, you can get away with 35 and it probably doesn't flash up. But we're talking about a biological speed limit here. 80% has not been accidentally kind of pulled out of thin air. There is a, there is a, um, certainly the Norwegian uh, cross country ski team and some of their Olympic stuff, they were using 82%. But I'm not going to rewrite what I do just because that has got an extra 2%. I still think, based on all the other data, 80% is an adequate threshold to say, look, if you're going above that, then you're either not choosing your speed or your running partners or your biking partners or the terrain or, um, or how you approach that session in the right way. 81% is not good. Because also, you're not aiming for that number, you're aiming to keep it below. And when somebody is... It's not a target. It's not a target, no. It can be way down. And when somebody is very fit, and this goes back to the whole thing about if you've got a big engine, then training it gives you good results. There are people that, you know, they can run along at quite good paces and be 10 beats off the top of their zone one. And actually they say by that point, go on, working quite hard. And somebody I had a discussion with today said, it's actually hard work now for me to get to the top of zone one. 
Brilliant. That shows that your zone one, you're going to be more likely down in the 60 to 70 percent area, which is really where you want to be. Yeah. yeah. Than be up at the 74 to 80 percent all the time, just trying to stay in. And in Alex's case, not stay in zone. The moment you're over it, you via your hopefully your um, GPS unit, Garmin, um, whatever you've got records it and you say okay the bits that were above 80 percent were you know three minutes 20. but the moment you can do that session and you've got zero minutes in zone two that is more of a success mm. because the point of zone one sessions isn't to get to a certain speed or pace it's to do zone one so somebody said today or oh, can i can i do a certain speed and then see how much stays in zone one i said no i'd rather you stay in zone one and see how much speed you get because over time if you're absorbing your training that speed will go up. And I can think of the analogy of that Saturday morning ride that we do is that as you go into winter, you know, you get the, you know, you kind of get the, um, the, the, the sense that it takes you longer to do that whole lot. As you come through, definitely by March, March April, yeah, yeah. You, you're doing it out and back like, blimey, we've come back quicker. And we have more changed our bikes. It's just that you're getting fitter, you're coming out of winter, more of the ride is light. And that isn't what's slowing you up because you're riding to a set power. It's more that you're riding to a feel and see what speed you get as opposed to seeing what speed you can, you know, sort of just eke away at. And I think, you know, Alex, a good thing is to say, I'm going to try not to go above 80% on my base sessions. And if I do that, yes, it'd be slower than if I went 82, even 83%. Yes, you go slower. But point of base sessions is it doesn't have anything to do with speed. The speed will go up over time. And there was a chat recently and we looked back and it goes, wow, he's, he's dropped two minutes in like five months, but he started knowing he was unfit he's done the right base training and he's you know fitter and he could have obviously raced more through the winter but he wouldn't have actually been so fit so the irony of staying below 80 percent is it'll give you what you do um you could go as low as perhaps 75 percent of your week could be in zone one and then you force yourself to do 25 percent very hard work but you start working out how many hours that is of hard work it's not going to happen I think people aim to do as much as they can in zone one and do maybe two hard sessions a week, possibly a third. I think most people two is enough. You're going to get a good mixture back on that and um, you're, going to, you're going to be fit. So is 80% okay? No, 80% is the absolute top. You're not aiming for that. You're aiming really, I think, to be at 65 to 70%. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? You, know, you, you don't become a better, fitter athlete by training between 75 and 80 all the time. No. Because effectively all you're doing is you're not you're not teaching your body to adapt anyway. So, you know, the widespread of, of I don't know, 50% to 80%, yes, you know. Mm. But once you start creeping over, you, you admit to yourself, oh, it's all right because I've only done a couple of percent over. Mm. But, you know, if that's the case, then there's no point in setting an 80% limit. No, 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 no. So you no. might as well just go, well, yeah. well, we might as well call it 90. Yeah. And that means I'll never hit 90. And then all of a sudden it's, oh, yeah, well, I did creep over 90. I got about yeah. 91. Yeah. If that's the case, it'll just forever just keep creeping up. So if you kind of, if you're pretty, not aggressive, but if you, if you draw the line at 80 and go, that is it. Mm. And then, like Joe was saying, uh, Alex, you, you train under that 80. Um I think you'd be surprised at how quickly your 
you'll then think, well, I remember when I was running up here and I was mm. having to hold back because mm. I was creeping over. Um, but now I seem to seem to be able to flow up there mm. quite nicely and stay well mm. below. So. And it's not, it's not, I think people get this wrong. It's not to say that you can't do efforts. You choose other parts in the week to do quality efforts. It's the fact that too many sessions, people stop, link, stop thinking about heart rate and start worrying about, who's running further yeah. up the road, who's in the lane next to them, who's on the bike next to them and, and is pushing them faster. And they stop it. And you see in their numbers and say, no, 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 it, it was pretty steady. Well, it couldn't have been. You went over 80%. Oh, yeah, but it was... Just... No. The point of the session is base because the point of intervals is to say, yes, I did, you know, six lots of four minutes. I was at the end of each of those four minutes right on the limit of, of just knowing that I, I was not spent but was holding a steady state exercise and um uh that's the point of that session if you do the hard bits right and you do the easy bits right that will be the correct mixture it's not you know what the best people are the ones that can do more in zone two than the ones that are supposedly going slow in zone one stuff on ironman that came out uh would have been either last year or year before when they looked at the analysis of these athletes the ones that spent more time in zone two had worse end race results. And that that definitely is the case that I find with people. If you can keep them in zone one, you don't get you don't get slow. That's the funny thing. People call it junk training to be in that zone. There's gonna be enough effort at the high intensity. What you get is the fact that you can sort of enjoy your training. And if you if you are fit, it will take effort to get to the top of zone one. And I've known people say that and be a bit like, nah, like, that must be only a few people ever find that sensation that top of zone one is hard work. No, because your base is quite, I think, robust. It stays there over time. So each year, it does take a lot of work for people to get to the top of zone one, not in the middle of winter, not if they've had time off and been unwell. But the moment you have been consistently training for like four to six weeks, and we're talking right now, February, March, April, it will get harder and harder and harder to get up to the top of zone one. Therefore, imagine how much work it's gonna take you to get into the interval area. And it's great when people say, that's amazing. I've just, you know, I used to run at 12 minutes. I'm now running at nine and a half minutes, but I'm still in zone one. What's going on? It's like, you're getting fitter, yeah. but you haven't forced it. It's happened naturally with your body keeping below that speed limit. And I think the 80% line should be considered a speed limit. And the people that try and break the 80% rule in training, are the same ones that try and break the speed limits out there in the real world, they kind of think that, oh, you can get by that. It's fine. Don't worry mechanically not mechanically biologically this 80 percent seems to be a, a threshold point where things start to happen above it to do with stress to do with um cortisol lactate stress hormones that you go above it and you're either meant to be above that and really working hard um or you're not meant to be above it at all and staying low and the the examples are too many to to mention but i think alex let's be honest draw that line at 80% and, and set an alarm and make a note of how much time you spend above it. And the moment you've done a session that used to be out of zone one a bit too often, when it's not out of zone one, you can tick that as saying that's proper base training because you've done what you should have done in the first place. So Alex, consider your hands well and truly slapped. No, 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 not at all, not at all, no. No, we, we appreciate questions. We appreciate um, responses through, um, you know, the... Twitter sphere, Facebook and stuff like that. But I think sometimes people need, they need reassurance or they've got to think, oh, surely that's different for, for certain people. I don't think it is. I really think that this is, this is going to be one of those things whereby um, I can see a similar trend that happened in the kind of 
90s to do with lower heart rate training. Well, and... 1890s, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Did I say just been to Lanzarote? No, no I didn't. Um, and it was about this heart rate. So, look, if you go to the right level, you're going to get a training at an endurance um, stimulus. If you go too hard, you won't. You'll stress your body, you'll get worse. And loads of people put it to the test and went, oh, yeah, that actually works. And now we're seeing via sports scientists like Stephen Seeler um, and other people that when you search on the internet have done documented research on um, endurance sports across loads of different um, spheres, what you find is those people are all coming to this 75, 80, sometimes 90% of training volume is going to be in, in zone one. And it's not just, you know, one person saying it and everyone going, oh, I don't think that's right. You look at it, you look at anecdotal diaries, you look at somebody saying, I'll put this to the test and look at, you know, Ingrid Christensen's data or look at the data on um, junior cross-country skiers or cross-country runners in different parts of the world. And you notice there's a trend for all of them to say, we can't agree on the exact percentage that you're in zone one, but it's a big percentage and it's not, oh, well, about half of your week. It's going to be no less than three quarters. And I think if you take the endurance work only and exclude, if you exclude strength work, it's like 90% of the week is going to be that um, kind of zone one uh, level. And put it to the test. It's not too late to change a few things right now. If you've been overexerting and doing too much, you know, racing of your mates, uh, it's amazing. I would say a month or less for a lot of people and they suddenly notice this jolt of speed where they reined it in, let their body actually do training in real time rather than overexerting and what have you got to lose? This is it. it. Can only improve. Can only improve. So we appreciate your reviews at iTunes. Uh, there are, I think, 40 odd, um, 45 five star results. Thank you, five star results, five star reviews. Thank you very much for that. Your questions, you can send them to at Southport Racing yep. or at Coach Joe Beer. The um, follow on Twitter is at Coach Joe Beer. It's just great to get your questions and it's great to have, I think, um, just a sense that we are on the end of winter start of uh, early season races for most people, the early half marathons, some of the um, you know, sporties and, and yeah. uh, triathlons still a few months away, duathlons well underway. So send us race specific stuff, not about winter training because it's, it's, uh, we're going to say it's long gone by now, but we're only at the end of February and, and send those questions in, but, but send them in with as much detail as you want, because it's quite good to get backdrop detail on what we're talking about. Even if we don't say it all, we can have read it beforehand. Uh, also follow at facebook.com slash coach Joe beer. And, um, well, I'm off to, uh, I'm Lanzarote? No, um, no, no. Newport for some aero testing in a couple oh, wow. of days. Um, on uh, various bits of uh, kit and people and things like that. And what are you up to, Martin? Um, me? I have one of my first mountain bike races at the weekend. Oh. Apparently. Um, okay. So hopefully, everything being well, I should be going to that. Um, is, this a, is this an A race for you, Martin? Uh, it's not. It's, uh, a win- it's just a winter race for it's, us. It's, it's a Z so. race. No, 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 no. <laughs> it, it, it's very enjoyable. So um, having done a season of cyclocross this year, so it's not not been too bad training training has been um all right all right as far as it goes so um but 
been busy, so... Yes, I'm going to congratulate him on air to say, well well done for becoming a daddy, Martin. I have, yes. I have a uh, small... Uh, human being that I'm now in charge of, which is frightening. <laughs> um, yes, I have yes. A, I have a little baby boy uh, called Joshua. So he came into the world a couple of weeks ago. So he's um, now all time. He's a proper time waster. <laughs> he's a proper time waster. You just sit there and just stare at him uh, while he's asleep, which I shall be doing up until he's about 18. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, uh, yes. So other than that, everything's moving along quite nicely. Good. Let's find out about what you learned from your mountain bike race next time round. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Are you beetroot loading? <laughs> I didn't know what I haven't even got to that point <laughs> thinking about it, but there go. Uh, a little bit late now. A little but, bit late now, yes. Um, well, actually, no, we're not, so... Okay. We, so we will, we will be back um, in about three weeks uh, for the March episode. Send in your questions. Follow via the Twitter and the Instagram and the Facebook and all of that stuff. And remember, train smart. And have fun. Well done, Martin. I was going to say, and be safe. <laughs> and have fun. Take care. Bye. Bye.